X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, September 21st. By the way, if there's a shout out you want to give, if there's a happy birthday, if there's someone doing a wonderful thing in the community, you can email the local at xray.fm and share with us something we're sharing. Today, back in the day, September 21st, 1937, The Hobbit was published by George Allen and Unwin in London. The author, of course, J.R.R. Tolkien. The Hobbit was illustrated by Tolkien himself with black and white drawings. Only 1,500 first edition copies were printed that year. They sold quickly by December 15th after enthusiastic reviews. Today, back in the day, September 21st, 1784, the Pennsylvania Packet and Daily Advertiser became the first successful daily newspaper in the country. The paper was founded in late 1771 by John Dunlap. It was a weekly paper. It was based in Philadelphia until the British occupation of that city in 1777 until 1778. David Claypool, owner of the Pennsylvania Packet, eventually became Dunlap's partner. And today, back in the day, September 21st, 1784, the paper changed its name the Pennsylvania Packet and Daily Advertiser, reflecting its move to a daily news publication. And for all you druids out there, today, back in the day, September 21st, 1915, Cecil Chubb bought Stonehenge for 6,600 pounds. Stonehenge is considered by many to be the most famous prehistoric monument in the world. As far as we know, it served as a ceremonial site and a burial place from Neolithic times to the Bronze Age. In ancient pagan traditions, the winter and summer solstices are times to honor the cycles of life and death to celebrate the movement of the sun. Modern practitioners of pagan and earth-centered spiritual traditions still observe this holiday. Jerry Falwell would call them devil worshipers. The earliest henge constructions date from 3000 BC. From about 2500 BC, the first stones were erected and rearranged a number of times over 200 to 300 years and transported from considerable distances. Together with the nearby Avebury site, Stonehenge has been recognized as a UNESCO World Heritage Site since 1986. And today, back in the day, September 21st, 1849, Oregon's territorial legislature enacted its second exclusion law. The law was explicit in barring black people from residing in Oregon with exceptions made for those who were already in the territory. Targeting African-American seamen who might be tempted to jump ship, the law addressed a concern that African-Americans might, and again, unfortunately, quoting, intermix with Indians instilling into their minds feelings of hostility towards the white race. The law was rescinded five years later in 1854. And although those immoral and hate-filled and ill-conceived exclusion laws were not generally enforced, they had their intended effect of discouraging black settlers. We'll start with your quick six news headlines. Kate Cable joined with a wrap-up of the city council's facial recognition ban and our interview with news editor of the Portland Mercury, Alex Zielinski. X-ray. First up, it is time for today's quick six local rundown. False conspiracy theories and confusion are flourishing as more people are accused of arson connected with the recent wildfires. At least six Oregon men have been accused of intentionally starting fires. None of the men seem to have any ties to the far-left or far-right political groups. And the fires were apparently not started with any political intent. Four of the men started fires that were quickly put out. But two men did start fires that destroyed hundreds of acres near Lane County in one case and damaged over a dozen homes in southern Oregon in another. Currently, the only major fire being investigated as a crime is the Almeida Fire in Jackson County. Eight other fires still have unknown origins. But that's enough for conspiracy sites and Joe Rogan to blame extreme protesters. According to fire officials, though, this summer has seen an unusual spike in intentionally set fires. But local law enforcement and the FBI have declared these theories blaming protesters for the fires are completely unfounded. Nonetheless, 
Three men have been cited by the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office for setting up vigilante checkpoints. On September 15th, officers were called to the intersection of East Larch Mountain Road and historic Columbia River Highway in Corbett. They were responding to reports that civilians were blocking the road and demanding that people stop as they evacuated from the fire. The three men involved in the vigilantism, Josh Smith, Travis Lucky, and Michael Meyer, have been cited by the sheriff's office for disorderly conduct in the second degree. And Multnomah County Chair Deborah Cafori called for an investigation into the sheriff's office in reference to, and I am quoting, reports that the words of some Multnomah County Sheriff's staff were interpreted by some residents as support or encouragement for roadblocks and vigilante patrols. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. As of Sunday, the OHA has reported 208 new cases. One more person confirmed dead due to the disease, bringing that count up to 526 and the confirmed case count to 30,801. The Washington Post reporting that as people tried to avoid the fires, COVID cases spiked. As people stayed inside, they interacted with more people and positive tests rose to 5.6%, the highest rate since July, and after six weeks of declines. And the wildfires did cause a new potential outbreak among prison inmates. Over 1,000 incarcerated women and almost 300 incarcerated men were evacuated from Coffee Creek to the Deer Ridge facility in Madras. Department of Corrections has now revealed that one female inmate and one male inmate tested positive for COVID-19 last Monday, and the adults in custody were tested before evacuated but did not receive their results until later. During the pandemic in total, over 900 AICs, adults in custody, and 225 DOC staff have tested positive for the disease. Six people have died. Last week's fires forced the evacuation of over 2,500 inmates from four facilities, causing increasingly cramped conditions that have not allowed for recommended social distancing. Oregon wildfire insurance payout are going to be a long process, according to the state. The state is recommending that those who lost their homes in the fire should start contacting their insurance providers immediately to begin claims. In just a week, fires burned through over a million acres across the state. Nine people have died so far. Hundreds of homes have been lost. And as fires burn, homeowners, firefighters, and state officials are still assessing the total financial cost of damages. In 2018, fires in California destroyed 14,000 homes and generated insurance claims of $11.4 billion in two months. Experts expect the fires this year will be less severe, but are still going to cost a lot. And payouts will likely take time, as it's not like the insurance company's favorite thing is to send checks away. The state is advising insurance holders to notify their providers as soon as possible to see if they're eligible for funds to cover temporary housing. On Friday, the Northwest Insurance Council announced plans to issue an emergency order prohibiting insurers from canceling policies in areas affected by the fire. Former mayoral candidate Jules Bailey is accusing current mayoral candidate Sarah Anarone of exaggerating her credentials in her campaign. Ph.D. ABD is a term apparently of some controversy. The ABD stands for all but dissertation, meaning a Ph.D. candidate has completed all of the coursework but has not yet fulfilled the research requirements to earn a Ph.D. And I researched it. There is a quietly raging debate on Quora among almost dozens of people about whether it should be included on a resume since it's not a complete credential. Well, someone thinks it's a big deal, and that's former Multnomah County Commissioner Jules Bailey. Bailey also ran against Iarone and Wheeler back in 2016, and this time he's filed a complaint with the state's election division. He claims Iarone made misleading statements on her voters' pamphlet statement when she listed herself as Ph.D. ABD in her voters' pamphlet statement. According to Bailey, ABD has no official meaning to academic institutions. According to Bailey and several people on Quora, ABD has no official meaning to academic institutions. Making false statements in the voters' pamphlet is a felony in Oregon. But Ayanna Rohn's campaign maintains that Ph.D. ABD is real and a term easily Googled. 
A little background. Ayanna Rohn had been a student at PSU studying urban studies and planning for a doctoral program. She says her political career and single motherhood took priority over defending her dissertation. Ayanna Rohn's opponent, current Mayor Ted Wheeler, meanwhile, has been the subject of 13 complaints this year, mostly related to campaign finance. No word on where any of the candidates stand on the Oxford comma. The protests are back as the air quality begins to improve. A bunch of people gathered to honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rest in peace. And after the dangerous air quality from nearby wildfires had put an end to the 100 consecutive day streak of protests after George Floyd's death in May, Friday saw protesters return to the streets as the rain eased the air quality. Protesters marched to the ICE building. By 10 p.m., the gathering was declared an unlawful assembly. Police threatened to use crowd control agents such as impact munitions. According to a spokesperson for the police bureau, police response times were improved during a week without protests. Although I have to suspect it was not just a week without protests. It was a week without a lot of things, given that a lot of people were staying inside, hiding from the smoke. While the mayor recently banned the use of CS gas by Portland police, federal officers still able to use some kinds of tear gas. Multiple independent reporters said that federal officers outside the ICE building did use some form of pepper agent on Friday, and 11 people were arrested. Hate symbols, including but not limited to the Confederate flag, are now banned in Oregon schools. State's Board of Education has banned swastikas, nooses, and Confederate flags that are now banned in over 1,200 public school buildings. Colt Gill, Oregon's Department of Education director, said in a statement, here's a quote, students must feel like they are safe and belong in their own schools if they are to learn, work, and grow to their fullest potential. The rule goes into effect immediately, and support from state lawmakers suggests it might soon be made into a law. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Kate Kay is with us with a roundup of the Portland City Council ban on facial recognition. Portland passed its facial recognition ban. And already, it could have a very real impact on one business here and its employees and the number of hours they have available to work. The City Council on September 9th unanimously passed an ordinance making the city the only place anywhere to outlaw facial recognition in privately owned places accessible to the public, like coffee shops, stores, banks, hotels, and more. They also passed an ordinance preventing city bureaus, like the police bureau, from using the controversial surveillance technology. Passing the ban, it already affects one business with multiple locations in Portland. Please look at camera for entry. That's a computer greeting from facial recognition cameras installed at entrances at three Jackson's food stores right here on the east side of the city. The retailer says it considers the technology to be beneficial because they say it prevents theft and creates a safer environment for its employees and customers. Countless customers and workers must pass through the system every night if they want to buy a pack of gum or pay for gas or just go back inside to work after a smoke break. Now, by law, that must change by January 1st, 2021, when Portland's ban on private facial recognition use goes into effect. Jackson's will have to disable its facial recognition system in those three Portland stores. Jackson's spokesperson, Russ Stoddard, told X-Ray, because of the new facial recognition ban, the company is thinking about closing the three Portland locations overnight. Well, we're disappointed by the decision as the stores where the technologies being used are safer than they were previously and both our employees and customers have responded very favorably to its use. While we'll likely uh, reevaluate how we continue to operate safely at 
three stores in Portland that are affected by this ban. It's also likely that we'll need to close them during the nighttime hours for the safety of our employees and for our customers. Smart City PDX is the city's data and tech advisory group that oversaw drafting of the ban and will oversee its implementation. Smart City PDX manager Kevin Martin told X-Ray the city would like to have a discussion with the retailer about closing its stores overnight. Here's Martin. We want to work with businesses and talk to businesses about sort of what those trade-offs are on their side. But I think we all believe strongly that sort of the, the negatives of those trade-offs can't continue to fall on, on black and brown people uh, specifically. And, and I think this is the city sort of a little bit drawing a line in the sand and saying that, you know, we're going to be more proactive about that uh, going forward. Jackson's food stores declined to provide any additional information regarding its plans for dismantling its facial recognition system. The city's ban on private facial recognition use goes into effect on January 1st, 2021. The ban on city bureau use went into effect already on September 9th. For more on facial recognition at Jackson's convenience stores in Portland, and more on what to expect now that the city has passed its groundbreaking facial recognition ban, check out the Band in PDX podcast. That's B-A-N-N-E-D in PDX on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and xraypod.com. For xray.fm, I'm Kate Kay. X-Ray. Alex Zielinski, news editor of the Portland Mercury, is up next with an update on the mayor's ban on CS gas and ongoing police accountability. Alex Zielinski, how you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> uh, you and I have been talking about tear gas. We've been talking about fires. We've been talking about racial justice. I'll bet you today is the day that Alex Zielinski wants to talk exclusively about good news. Oh, God. <laughs> what is good news? <laughs> I was messing with you. What do you want to talk about? What's what? Are you, what I, I'm actually paying attention to what you're doing. Uh, well, the, the, the tear I, gas I guess, ban. Do you want to talk about the tear gas ban and, yeah, and mean, what prompted that it? Is good news in some ways. Um, uh, last week, the um, mayor Ted Wheeler announced that he was going to uh, officially ban uh, police use of tear, CS gas, which is kind of the most common form of tear gas um, that everyone thinks of when you think of tear gas. Uh, from police being able to use it on, on anyone. CS gas uh, sounds even worse, I think. I mean, CS gas sounds like some Vietnam stuff to me. But right, anyway. yeah, yeah. And, and I, I'd never even spell out what CS is because it's like a very long, like, chemistry word. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so this happened last week, of course, after protests in Portland. I mean, the smoke that has layered the city has really stopped uh, protests in their track for right now because it's so... Um, it's so toxic outside. It's so hazardous when it comes to the air quality. Uh, so this announcement kind of came in a weird time when, you know, uh, Ted Wheeler's really ideally focusing mostly on wildfires and, and protecting uh, the city from, from smoke and from fires. Um, but he made this kind of formal announcement without, uh, without giving anyone else in city council a heads up that he was making this announcement, which is important to know. Um, and said that, yeah, he was now going to ban tear gas use um, in all scenarios. Before, in June, after people initially asked for a ban, um, he said, okay, I'm going to ban it except for situations where there's life safety and there's no other option. Um, 
a life safety issue, which is a term the police use to describe really any scenario where someone might be, uh, you know, might be threatened with their life somehow uh, during a protest. And so, you know, that was a pretty um, useless, <laughs> I, I'd say, um, initial ban. Uh, police were able to really explain their way around using CF gas in many scenarios. Uh, trying to point to ways that there was a life safety problem or they they couldn't stop protests in any other way except for gassing everyone. So, um, but it's interesting now, you know, three, more than three months, um, more than 100 days into protests for Ted Wheeler to, to come out and say, okay, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to finally do this thing that you asked for, even though we've spent these past months really torrentially <laughs> gassing um, everyone in Portland. I mean, anyone who's gone out to a protest right now, I feel like, is experiences some type of gas or smoke or munitions coming from the police. Um, so, well, you know, a lot of folks are saying it's too little, too late. Yeah, uh, what was the, about the timing, like by the way, by the way, CS gas is apparently chlorobenzolidine malonitrile, uh, malononitrile, uh, unless it's pronounced malononitrile, but the, the critical, the C is chlorobenzolidine, Chlorobenzolidine. Uh, there you go. I didn't attempt it. Yeah. No, I, I, I attempted it as best I could. Right. And then the other, I mean, just for fact's sake, because I've been looking into this too, the other uh, popular forms of tear gas are, I think it's uh, capsaicin, uh, a form of, uh, the abbreviation is OC gas, which is just pepper spray. Right. And then there's um, another, another type that is, um, uh, another term for mace, basically bear mace, and so those two, those two forms of tear gas are still able to be used on protesters. Which just not the CS gas, just not the military grade. Uh, you, right. you can still use some bear mace. Uh, what's what is the speculation or understanding about the timing? Right? <laughs> Was it? And there's a couple speculations. Right? One speculation is well, a poll came out that showed two thirds of Portlanders grumpy at the mayor. And he's got to try to seize the day. Another is, well, they went through the courts. They went through, you know, they dealt with what was happening with the federal law enforcement. He was hoping somebody else would do something and finally had to step in because those other things didn't work. Maybe there's another explanation. What explanation in terms of the timing is the mayor giving or what are other people saying? Um, the mayor's not giving the explanation as the timing. Yeah. You know, for him, he's like, it just seemed like we've had enough. This was the time he sent a press release saying, you know what? Uh, we've tried everything else. Now we're doing this. Yeah. Um, like it's time to, to cease fire, kind of. In a weird, yeah, a weird time where no one was really protesting at night anymore. Um, but I think. Yeah, it's smoky it's outside. Hard. I mean, it's like now it's kind of an easy time, right? I mean, it's like, hey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, of course, everyone else is being blasted with a different kind of um, toxic air. Right, <laughs> outside. exactly. It, well, that's maybe that's story. what it is. Maybe that's the thing. One kind of toxic air at a time. At a time, we, yeah. We'll bring back tear gas as soon as it'll rain tonight, and then we can have right. tear gas tomorrow. But right, we don't want to do both. Yeah, you know, it, it's an overkill, you know? Um, but, I mean, I think the obvious one that's hard to avoid is that there's an election in less than two months, um, and that he that the mayor has um pretty low very low ratings at least according to that one poll that was leaked by the oregonian that showed 20 something percent um of people in portland were really you know enthusiastic about him 
Um, and so, you know, uh, it, th- this this video, this announcement that he made about tear gas came out a day after uh, that poll came out, which almost seemed a little too reactionary. So I, it's hard to say if that's exactly what that was in response to. But it, it, there, there's no, you know, it's obvious that the election is on the horizon and that people are pretty upset about Ted Wheeler um, from both sides of the um, you know, political spectrum. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think, I think people who've been asking for tear gas to be banned um, don't see this as a victory because it has come months after. Um, you know. Yeah, he's not uh, getting much credit, right? I mean, it's, I, I got, I sort of feel for the mayor. He first, yeah. I mean, he got, I actually give him some compliments for how he handled COVID-19, was then getting hits over the protests. Uh, now, but businesses, and so you have a lot of the activist community, Sarah Anarone, who's, who's, to be clear, has been a friend of the station and uh, and friend of mine, The is, is of that community. Uh, Trish Rayford running his third-party candidate, also of the activist community. They're, and they're not giving, you know, Ted Wheeler credit for the facial recognition ban. They're not giving credit for what's happening with urban infill. Not giving credit for the tear gas ban. But tell you who's taken some marks away uh, is, is his base in the business community. Of course, they got no real place to go. They're not going to turn into Iron supporters, presumably. Uh, right. But it's but he's been, I mean, we've been doing some pretty darn liberal stuff. Uh, what are, what is your analysis, your thoughts on sort of where Wheeler is politically and what he's, what are people thinking he's got to do next? Yeah, I mean, I think on paper, um, he is still a really progressive mayor. Um, he has backed and helped uh, his fellow commissioners really champion things like facial recognition and uh, even the, you know, uh, Joanne Hardesty's like, uh, houseless, um, the street uh, first responder program. I don't know why I'm blanking on the name of it. And, uh, and you know, has helped, has helped Chloe Daly champion, champion a lot of rental protection. I think it's really important and it's sometimes lost that his office does a lot of work to help um, those more like notable uh, uh, ordinances passed that sometimes have other commissioners' names on them. Um, but I think all of this is overshadowed by the way he's been handling, um, you know, the police bureau right now and, and the fact that he has seemed pretty tepid around any changes either way, whether it's, you know, uh, putting the foot his foot down and, and mass arresting every protester and shutting down downtown somehow and saving the business community uh, or, um, you know, defunding the police and uh, running the other direction, which, of course, those are two extremes. Those are not really things that we would expect to see. Um, But he's in certainly a rock and a hard place, but he hasn't um, he hasn't shown really. I, I think the trickiest thing with Ted Wheeler is it's really hard to know where he stands and what he believes in. He seems to kind of bend uh, to the political will of, of different folks and like the different opinions of whoever he's talking to at the moment. Um, at least from my perspective, I have a hard time understanding kind of where where he falls politically, what he cares the most about, and like, you know his genuine interest in um, that changing you know, police accountability or changing kind of these, these other issues. It's, it's hard to get a read from him. Now that's a real challenge. And the, uh, and that's worth further discussion. And I do want to talk about this more. Maybe we can even do that next week, but my, um, 
I think if, if we we're going to stand up for the mayor, I think what we'd say is, well, yeah, I am trying to consider multiple interests and be a mayor of the whole city. I'm not trying to take a page out of the president's book, which I where I understand who my political base is. I only do things for them. I try to troll uh, the the opposition because I know that'll gin up my base further. And I think I think Ted Wheeler is trying to envision himself as a moderate mayor. And I don't mean by that like a moderate Democrat. I don't mean by that as like halfway Republican, halfway Democrat. That's not what I mean. But somewhat of moderate sensibilities who listens to a variety of folks. The challenge is, is that uh, th- that can open one up to the criticism, maybe even to the reality of you know, being in the wind and sticking one's finger in the air and seeing which way it's blowing. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I think that's an interesting thing and not just an analysis of Ted Wheeler, but an analysis of what is the kind of mayor we want. Right. What yeah. it, how do we want to bring people together if that's what we want to do? I am fascinated by that topic. I want to say thank you so much, Alex Zelensky, for being with us yet again. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Kate and to Alex for joining the local. And thank you for listening to the local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Send us a shout out, a piece of news. Happy birthday to somebody at the local at xray.fm. Thanks for subscribing and giving your five-star review. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.